Ah, it's time to relax, and you know what that means. A glass of wine, your favorite easy chair, and of course, this compact disc playing on your home stereo. So go on and indulge yourself. That's right. Kick off your shoes, put your feet up, lean back and just enjoy the melodies. After all, music soothes even the savage beast. Hi, welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music magazines and culture and stuff. This episode we're talking about Rolling Stone in September 1994. Joining me is John Waller, Noyan Hilmi, and my longtime friend Jessica Fleming, who is with us for the first time. Jess and I grew up together, and mid-1994 was the moment that I started getting heavily into music. I still feel it was one of the best years for pop music ever, so it was fitting to have her on an episode where we talk about music we were into when we were 14. And I know there's an argument for stating that music you got into when you're 14 shapes your taste going forward, but when I look back at the evidence of great albums that came out in 1994, I stand by my statement because it had some monumental albums and songs that came out. Everyone knows every word to all of the Weezer Blue albums. Loser, Interstate Love Song, Sabotage, still get played on the radio every single day. And there's a bunch more evidence, but I'm not going to say it all in a podcast intro. We discuss articles on Green Day, Offspring, Coolio, Oasis, as they were all just budding bands and had not yet exploded into megastardom, but were well on their way. And turning the pages, we also find a feature interview with Thurston Moore. And we talk about the 1994 era of Sonic Youth and a post-Nirvana world. Also, one footnote on this episode, there was technical difficulties with Noyan's mic, so his voice is very low in the mix. So I'm sorry for the listeners, and I'm sorry, Noyan. So join us as we flip through the pages at the height of Alternative Nation as we immerse ourselves in the moment that was September 1994. <laughs> yeah, so Rolling Stone, uh, wait, September? September 94. Um, back to school, you know, <laughs> all your favorites. Uh, you know, there's so many amazing people on this cover. But, you know, just getting in, I wanted to say this first thing when I was leafing through this. I don't know if I've said this before, or maybe I just said it in passing, but these Tommy Hilfiger ads have not changed in my entire life. If you opened this up in 2019, I'd be like, yeah, it's that's current. The, the same douchebag prep boys <laughs> in their tweed <laughs> crap and nice little collar <laughs> shirts and uh, like... Even the layout. That even tweed the layout. jacket's kind of nice. Though. No, yeah. everything looks good. I'm just yeah. like, this is yeah. like, if there's one thing... But yes, it's very yeah. consistent. Yeah. Even the layout is, is the same like through the years and even the fonts. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he has not changed his branding. I mean, mm. not to give <laughs> too much credit to Tommy Hilfiger here, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, it's completely timeless. I have no idea how they've just like designed this and like done the same ad over and over again. You're wearing tweed on a farm or something. Yeah. <laughs> like these uh, unless you look directly at the clothing. <laughs> if you look directly <laughs> If you don't avert your eyes from the clothing, then you'll be like, okay, yeah, there's something wrong. Here. It's a little, it's a little baggier than now, but right, a little bit, yeah. This <laughs> was the style at the time. <laughs> in this asshole in his <laughs> in his plaid vest. In his plaid vest. And what is that Sassoon? Like what, what is that, is that Sassoon? Brand? I don't. We know. can't even read the brand. It we says Sass Sasson. Sasson. Yeah. Sasson? So some no namer. 
who knows? Somebody who didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The sleeveless shirt didn't really keep people. Oh, turning the page here to the random notes section. There's some gold on this page. Um, I'll start with Hootie and the Blowfish po- posing with Bill Clinton. <laughs> 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 and just <Yes>! and <laughs> also, j- this is um, I'm looking at this thinking, is this the beginning of like the Coldplay super safe band that doesn't look like rock stars at all? These guys all look like they just work at a '90s gym. Like, <laughs> like they all just look like college students who work at the quad and like wear free T-shirts. Yeah, they're and all their T-shirts are tucked in. Every single one of these guys. Well, that was the thing with a lot of bands, like Pavement, like were somewhat famously just like looked like college bros. Yeah, you know. Well, but I know what you mean by these guys. There, I think there was a difference between. I mean, a lot of people liked that, and I've read things where it's like Pavement, like they're one of us. We're seeing our friends. We're seeing our peers, and the, you know, like. And there was the whole like anti rock star thing of uh, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Like they just kind of dressed, you know, like they were. These guys look like dorks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is it is it that like Nirvana were essentially kind of you know rough around the edges, small town, well, kind of skid like, you know? Absolutely, you they know were. I mean? Yeah. Whereas like Hootie and the Blowfish kind of. Well, the thing. No, upbringing. but it was also <laughs> that like I think that. You know, when Nirvana and I guess to a lesser degree or similar degree, Pearl Jam got big, they had this style that was just the style that people wore yeah. there. But then it became of high course. fashion yeah, and absolutely. it got co-opted. Yeah. And so, you know, you look back and he's just wearing whatever the hell he wants, but it looks super hip. Yeah. In retrospect. Yeah. These guys are just like jeans and a yeah, T-shirt. Or like... Um, they all look like my dad, uh, but yeah, one of them, like one of them is wearing a Hard Rock Cafe yeah. shirt. Exactly. <laughs> I believe it's the singer Darius Rucker. Yeah, yeah. which one is it? He's just there. No, I I know who yeah. Darius Rucker is. I'm trying to see which Hard Rock Cafe. You have to rep your city, and I do not see it. So, um, no, it's funny. I want to bring this up later, actually, when we're t- we're gonna talk about uh, Thurston Moore and this issue. But he actually talks about seeing Nirvana for the first time and saying how like scary they looked and like skiddly yeah. like these dudes with long hair and ripped jeans like they did not look like they anyone showered. else yeah they looked <laughs> horrible yeah. Like, yeah and that just became a generation of cool it was just yeah. these <laughs> these guys who looked like god awful what a, what a great time for fashion though i like, know jump, I, just jump on that bandwagon and not shower for like two weeks oh you know? yeah <laughs> and that was the thing even though too. i did people did it people did it um, and speaking of Nirvana, we have uh, a lot of like post-Nirvana stuff in this issue because it's 1994 and we're just fresh off a of Cobain death. Right. Um, here's Nirvana with Kirsten Novoselic and Dave Grohl, and they're playing as like a, a secret band. The band is called the Stinky Puffs. Why is it then every time a band has to do a secret band and they show up and have to go under some assumed name, it is the worst band name of all time? Like, you've just been, like, every one of us who just, like, you think of a good band. And no, you're, you know you're what You're writing it, it down. You're storing it. These guys playing for this no. long didn't have anything up top going, oh, let's let's. No, no, no. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's when you're, like, drunk or high and you're sitting around being like, oh, my God, imagine we were in a band called the Stinky Puffs. <laughs> and then when it comes time to have the secret show, you're like, 
what was that really terrible band name yeah, yeah. that yeah. we were laughing so hard about? Yeah, we got to use that. Girl, definitely. That's the that. the secret shows are when you use the not the good, but you don't waste <laughs> the good band <laughs> no, names. They're, they're bulletproof <laughs> at this point yeah. too, right? Well, yeah, but I'm also saying that, like, just in general, not just them, but, you know, if you come up with a bunch of good band names, you're not going to burn but one of those on a secret show. It seriously, too. Like, this is not taking Yeah, exactly. Uh, last but not least on this page, <laughs> Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley. Oh, yeah, I know. Kind of in a little photo shoot embracing. We, we can't get too deep into this, but w- what the fuck was that? Oh, like, I know. What was that? And even even when I was a kid, I remember thinking to myself, "What is that?" Yeah, we were you know fourteen. I mean? You'd already had to figure it out, going like, "This isn't right." Nothing is right in this situation. There's paper signed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think you know. Actual marriage papers. Uh, people can <laughs> couple for all kinds of reasons, uh, um, as long as there was some kind of happiness shared. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. to each you know people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Your Elvis's daughter, like I don't know, I don't know. I'm trying to provide a counterpoint that, like, maybe yeah. you know, maybe uh, we shouldn't be using that. That's completely cynical. That analogy know? for Michael Jackson, but um. <laughs> I, d- I, just, I just always wondered, like, whose camp it was that approached the other. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if they had like common management, it had to be her or something. Camp. You his think camp so? For sure. Like this yeah. is the thing, but. Did she really need it? Like, obviously, we know why these sorts of situations happen, but she's Elvis's daughter. She mm. still could have got her career that she had this short-lived singing career. She still could have just been off, I'm Elvis's daughter, and everybody would have done the same thing. She didn't right. really need to elevate much more by dating Michael Jackson. Right. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, if it had been some rando or something, maybe, and that's why, I don't know, maybe you don't have to be so cynical. Maybe they were in love. Wow. I bet you I bet You're you much met. more forgiving than I thought you would be. Probably <laughs> met and he relentlessly pursued her. You know what? That wouldn't surprise me, actually. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to mm. pursue this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a king of pop, whatever. Yeah. Yeah? Do you think Lisa Marie Presley relentlessly know, pursued him? a whole him? bunch of shit up. <laughs> 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 no, not her. Him. She pursued her. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, oh okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I misunderstood that. Uh, yeah, Woody Harrelson playing guitar. You know where you can just tell people can't play guitar? <laughs> <laughs> Look at his face. I know. Is he stuck sticking his tongue out? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all love Woody Harrelson. Yeah, but, there's uh, nothing wrong with Woody Harrelson. Uh, it's really hard to I didn't. It's funny. Voice. I didn't even think about that the first time. He's got a little bit of a tongue yeah. sticking out. Like yeah. Guitar's a, li- guitar's a little high. <laughs> Is that stance? You're like, and of course, the caption says "natural born killer Woody Harrelson." Oh God, he was riding high. He was bad boy right here. Christ, he looks like Mac DeMarco. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Good, good call on that. He does. He does. <laughs> and then September 1994, we turn the page to the rock and roll section, and we have. A dual article on Green Day and Offspring. How <laughs> perfect. With the heading I remember with this. With the heading, the kids are all right. I know. Yeah. Except the offspring are all thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I d- when I read the article I didn't realize how much older those guys were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Green Day is like 21, 22. Yeah, 21, yeah. I think. And I love the fact so that in the Green Day article they're being interviewed at outside the like what is it, the University of Saskatchewan? Oh yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah. I was activity center or something. Right. Yeah, <laughs> how did that happen? Like, like, just you send you send your guy wherever he is. 
uh, wherever the band goes. Number one, Billy Joe had awesome style. I really wanted to be him in 1994. He still looks great. This is still like timeless, awesome style he's got. Mm. Um, I mean, this was, I don't even know where to start with, with these two articles. I mean, like there's not a lot in here that, you know, isn't like on a Wikipedia type thing, but just the fact that like these two bands blew up at the exact same time this summer. I remember now Green Day's album came out in February um, I'd say they really blew up right now. Like at this point, like in sep- the early September, late August, when they had uh, Basket Case. That's yeah. when that came out. I mean, um, Longview. Yeah, Longview came out like spring, but it was kind of like yeah, it, it was wasn't as big. No, I remember. I remember it came out and being like, oh, this is a song. And then Basket Case, <laughs> uh, the Edge was like, we have to play Basket Case every hour. Oh yeah, on the hour for sure. You Jess, will listen to it 50 times today. Jess, you were the yeah. first person to tell, tell me about Green Day. How is that right? Yeah, we went to the mall <laughs> looking for the CD, and we couldn't find it. You're like, I got to buy that Green Day CD. I was yeah. like, I don't know who the hell you're talking about. Yeah, those were the two. I actually two bought that CD, which is strange, because yeah. I don't know if I ever listened to it. Really? I think I, w- I think it was like, okay, look, this is going to sound harsher than I mean it, okay. but I think it was a moment of Stockholm Syndrome, of just like I had heard those singles so many times. Okay. I was like... Like I'd have to keep listening to it forever. Apparently, um, this was su- this was such a uh, ten CDs for a penny moment too, where everybody lumped one of these CDs in with a Columbia House order too. Like the, the you could not go to a used bin in the '90s after this without seeing these albums sitting there. Um, it was so big, right? You know, everyone it was huge. Songs. No, it was incredible. So Green Day got gigantic. Offspring, that album, Smash is the best-selling independent album of all time to this day no Still? one has beat it you're kidding me really? no one has beat i it. knew it was That's once true? but it's epitaph records it sold 11 million copies it's a good album <laughs> it is a good album it's a good album. and you couldn't buy it you, it was sold out everywhere i could not buy that cd because it was on an indie label right. they couldn't yeah. print it fast enough <laughs> like a warehouse of these i think it's like just sitting wow i didn't know that yeah so i mean was it like did Epitaph have any sort of distribution deal with a major label? like, Or is it just something crazy that it happened to hit? I think it just, I think it was one of those things where it could, I mean, anything could happen even today. But I think it was one of those things where they just, it got on MTV and it just, it just took off. Right. I mean, right. they never right even. Right place, right time. Yeah, they never even anticipated Nirvana taking off like they did. But they made this one video, put it on MTV, and right. it just shocked America. And everybody went and grabbed right. that CD. Or tape, true. <laughs> but I mean, Nirvana did have like a ma- like sure, a major label a major. Mach- marketing machine behind them, even if the mar- they didn't have the full power until like no. Oh absolutely. wait, no, this is happening now. I don't know. I mean, I feel like Offspring they took off before Green Day, so I could I was gonna make the argument maybe Green Day happened. These guys just happened to be there, and then everybody jumped on another kind of pop punk thing. But these guys were a little earlier in that summer. Mm. Um, that. Like, you could not walk down the street without people singing, you got to keep them separated. And it did feel <laughs> like a, sh- it, it did feel like a shift mm-hmm. that, like, punk had yeah, reappeared. For sure. Mm. And I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Go. I don't remember this about the Offspring, but did they have a, an independent record, of like, an, another record before that record? Who, who, which ones? Offspring? Offspring. They had yeah. two records before yeah, this. They had, they had one in 89 that. and one in 92 that they went out on Epitaph, and then this was the one that actually hit. 
Okay. Mm. Um, okay, so they're, they're, it's a, a similar situation. Yeah, it was like a really slow burn kind of know. thing. And same with Green Day. They had records out before this, um, and they got picked up, and they got put on reprise, so they had a major label behind them. Uh, but what I was going to say was that both these bands, this was what everyone got into punk with, and then we all ditched them. We were like, <laughs> I'm into so punk true. now. And then you got into it with these bands. Now, I will say I still love both these records, and I still really love Dookie, but I, n- I don't like anything past them. I don't like anything else. Yeah. Even in 1995, when they put out their other record, I was like, yeah, I'm bored of this. It, it was a different sound. I'd already moved on to like skate punk and whatever like you got into after this, after you discovered Epitaph Records. Well, Green Day later had some very poppy singles. Absolutely. Yeah. And meanwhile, Offspring, like the only song I remember afterwards that oh pretty fly yes which was like practically a joke song yeah which was was. like yeah yeah I mean I suppose that was the time when like you know Blink 182 also was sure we're fun loving punk but yeah yeah I think pretty fly for a white guy was really pushing how far you could take no joke punk absolute crap (laughs) yeah And there's that other one. I mean, I'm trying to be diplomatic yeah. because I never, like, when I first heard Keep Them Separated, I was like, no, thank you. And <laughs> oh, then really? it, and then oh, I just I kept it. hearing it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, everyone loved it. I felt like the only person who didn't, but that was just, it took me a while to get into punk, like, new punk. Yeah, I mean, I got I sick of the, picky. I got sick of, like, self-esteem uh, and, like, those two singles really quickly, but then I liked the rest of the record, so I kind of skipped over them a lot. Same. I mean, yeah. I only had this one. Yeah, um, I only so had the one. The only I think I just taped it off someone too. Actually, intentionally played was that Road Rage song. Yeah, what? something's up. That yeah. one. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. what? What are you talking about? There's this one song. Yeah. I think it's in, like the middle of the album. Yeah. That goes, you stupid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn. Yeah, of course. If I if I already said this story on this, that my story of that is I had that in my grade nine gym class. And you were allowed to play music while we were all just, you know, playing volleyball or whatever the hell we were doing. And I put that album on, and then I knew that it was coming, and I was on the other end of the gym. (laughs) And it's just, you're waiting for that that barrage of swearing to almost happen, and I had this split-second moment of going, okay, I either run and stop this tape right now, or I just hope that my teacher doesn't notice this somehow. And it's just blasting through the gym. Just... Goddamn motherfucker! My teacher goes up, picks this tape out of the jukebox, and whips it at me. <laughs> You're like fair. Yeah, okay. I know. like, don't bring that, that crap in here. <laughs> okay. Well, these, these days, I thought you weren't gonna notice. These days, I'm sure that the teacher wouldn't do that. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, do you also agree that? Okay, number one, I was gonna say, I didn't like anything after these guys. Like after you know their subsequent albums, they'd come out. Um, but is it also is it push like a label pushing them to make some like more palatable stuff for the airwaves, even though they already had a hit with what they were doing? Are they like getting pushed, or is it just the fact that they're bored of what they were already doing for five years? They got signed, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to do something different, and then all of a sudden a they really do a follow-up record. You know what like, though? Yeah. I always wonder about that sort of thing because sometimes what you see is like, and my mind always goes to say Trail of Dead, who you know were like, and I'm 
you know, they had their first album was like a really, really good, like kind of post punk thing. Or the first few albums were they had source tags and codes, major label debut, you know, awesome post punk record. And then from then in, then on, there was this vibe of like, oh, we can write songs too. Like, let's actually become like songwriters and like, I'll write a song that sounds like the Beatles. And it's like, ooh, um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it makes me think it may not really be relevant or something, but I remember um, a broken social scene. The, uh, one of the lines I remember from the Pitchfork review was, well, it wasn't really from the Pitchfork review because the Pitchfork review, I think, was quoting an iWeekly interview with them saying how everyone in that band had already been in so many like punk and post-rock bands that this was like one of the first times many of them were like, let's actually try and write catchy songs. Right. And it worked out there. But like, you know, some bands, they're like, oh, let's actually try and make, you know, you know, a real professional music or something, and they just give up what actually or made they them just interesting or fun. Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of falling into what is on the radio waves at that point. They're like, maybe we should just t- keep doing this. I guess there's also a like um, I guess you're, you're also very scared about a follow up from a big debut. Well, there's also the question. I think really what it boils down to is sort of the uh, <laughs> who has a landline. So yeah, is it um, cynicism? Is it cynical or is it egotistical? About what? Are they are they saying, oh well, like let's you know make a more palatable album so we'll sell more, or are they like let's write more you know conventional music to be to prove our, to prove to ourselves that we can I or something? Like growth growth as artists too like they oh yeah like i mean that's something fair they get older more mature like they're gonna start like because what was refining their songwriting chops like and it starts their arrangements start getting more complex randy starts putting strings in their songs and, and what was the single what's the record? single i don't know the time to- oh, time of our life or something or yeah, yeah. that was like two albums after this yeah but still yeah, that's yeah. the direction yeah yeah but that's the one i'm thinking of like that's right. the one in my head where it's like it's practically the goo goo dolls like right you know, it's not, you know, you shed the punk. And I always found that with a lot of punk bands. I've, it's interesting to watch where punk bands go because both big ones and small ones, few of them will do punk forever. Mm-hmm. And some will, but s- some of them will go, you know, uh, into pop or... Sure. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, w- I wonder how much... Uh, how much uh, creative license these guys had if they were on epitaph and yeah what their management well, was like and what their tie-in was well with I, anybody that was like major sure i you mean know? offspring i don't know how much longer they lasted on epitaph they maybe did their second record we can obviously look at look it up the record after this ixnay on the omre but right. then like how many more like they must have signed to a major after that because they became such a major band. right and then when you go to a major you got to negotiate you know how much creative license you have to do your music and you know how much freedom you have as an artist yeah and so also by speak. the time yeah yeah by the time that would have happened would have been like the late 90s which that probably wouldn't have been a great time to jump to a major label for like a band like them i mean mm. well it was still the 90s you could still make money off of like cd sales and everything like why why are you saying it would be a bad idea well i guess when i think of the 
the bands that major labels were looking to make a lot of money from, mm-hmm. I think of Corn. I think of Limp Bizkit <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> by yes, that time. I, I think that. of like sure. Corn. I think yeah. of like a, a Lincoln Park and New stuff. Metal, yeah. And yeah. so, because um, obviously all through that time, there's lots of small bands that are on major labels. You know, you've got. You know, built a spill, still doing it, and we just mentioned Trail of Dead. They got signed two thousand two. You know, Strokes, mm-hmm. two thousand one. But those were all bands where I think the expectations on the label part were not high. Oh, okay. But I mean, if a major label's picking up Offspring in the late nineties, I don't, I can't, I don't see why they do it. It's not a small pickup. It's not a small like. But I mean, these guys were still. They still had an audience. So why wouldn't you try to scoop them up and? squeeze some more life out of them to make a couple dollars and, and absolutely and that's what makes me think well maybe that's maybe that's what why they went that way in their songwriting direction mm. but the thing is it doesn't it's not exactly outside of the realm of like s- the smash album right yeah the smash album's kind of tongue-in-cheek it's a little bit fun yeah yeah right so you're well, right the singles yeah. they they put out were a lot different than the rest of the album yeah they had the fun kind of silly singles but the rest of the album was it had a good edge to it yeah yeah, that song "Get a Job" was terrible. Oh, that's the it's the it's a Beatles song. It's uh, like it's the it's, it's Obadi. <laughs> oh wow! It's Wait, is, did it actually sample that? No, but it was so I close. Was I, so I, close. I, it was like suable territory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really yeah. horrible. Those uh, those first two Green Day albums were like really good too. Like actually going back and checking that catalog. Yeah. It was they were really good, but they were a w- kind of a one-color band up to that mm-hmm. point, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know? so yeah, you can't I, do that forever. No, you can't. And I could see that. Like these guys are twenty-two years old. They've put out three records that kind of sound the same. I could yeah. see them wanting to kind of like evolve a bit, evolve and yeah, grow yeah, and yeah. Explore new territory. Yeah, that was back to my yeah. Sorry, Justin. I was gonna say it just seems like these guys evolved a little more slowly over time. And these guys. Like Green Day. Uh, like Green so Day's Green Day. Yeah, Green yeah. Day evolved slowly over time and like still kept it like fairly majorly popular. Uh-huh. And these guys I don't know, it they seemed offspring. to it, there was like a switch. Sorry, offspring. Yeah. It, it seemed to be like a switch for them. Yeah, yeah. For the record, yeah. Offspring signed to Columbia right after Smash. Oh, okay. So the the, the record after that was Columbia? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um and then I just want to say quickly that Green Day has had one of the most interesting careers, in my opinion, where they never really went away, but they definitely, you know, like, declined and declined. Like, they still had their audience, but by the end of the 90s, like, you know, who really cared about Green Day? And then somehow, they got to explode again in 2004 for a whole new generation. That is really rare for a yeah. band to do <laughs> round, round two like that's incredible was that what would that have been american idiot? american idiot yeah no like i mean I when you put it that way it is kind of impressive that, that was bush era right what what american idiot yeah yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought you meant. No, I thought I you meant. No, but that's a really good. Point. I thought you said yeah. Bush X. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's like Bush era politics. Yeah. yeah. No, but that's actually that's actually a really good point yeah. that like they did. There was like a um, a big market for like anti George W. Bush absolutely uh, mm-hmm. sort of punk mm-hmm. and you know it's funny because. I remember reading things uh, here and there over the past 10 years or 15 years and how, you know, there isn't as much 
political punk as there used to be, I guess, or like in the eighties, right? Where sure. it was like a big tradition. And um, you know, how many other uh punk bands were really on that W beat yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time. And they were. Yeah. Good for them. They yeah. capitalized for sure. Yeah. I'm I think to say that they intentionally did it in some sort of like well, but once way, again, it's like cynical yeah. or not. I mean, I could see these guys. I could totally believe it if they were sitting around going like, hey, punk should be political. Let's do this. But yeah. But they be essentially kind of like shook off the punk vibe and became a pop band. Well, yeah. Right? yeah. Yes. You know, and yes. then they actually did the most punk thing that they've ever done. Yeah. And right. Yeah. And like the subject, the subject matter, if American yeah. idiot, it's like fish in a barrel, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, totally. it's very easy and they have the audience and they're the it's just perfect for them. But That's what punk's supposed to be. Because you can absolutely believe that they were like, yeah. you know, dead Kennedys fans. No. I mean, hmm? what? Wait, sorry. Say you're no, I'm saying I can absolutely believe that they were like old, like, oh, yeah. Dead Kennedys they're fans. The who same were, town. You know, oh, like sure. dead Kennedys, you know, going after Reagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was their <laughs> part of their thing. Yeah. It was also like, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no! You're absolutely, you're, abso you're absolutely right. Take on Reaganomics, of course. You know, and, and these guys were about like, yeah, getting stoned and also illegal wars, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, turning the page to uh, a little article, a little feature here on Gilby Clark as he ponders the troubled state of Guns N' Roses. Yeah, that's oh, basically oh September nineteen ninety four. Short uh, dirt article <laughs> about him just saying yeah nobody's getting along it sucks by the way i have an album this that's, is a, that's essentially what that, that article is. Yeah. This yeah. is this is amazing to read because <laughs> this is such a moment in time like this is when we actually look at these magazines and go oh yeah green day we can all remember that yeah. but really when we read an article where gilby clart is saying yeah gnr could end at any minute they could end GNR is still a band at this time. Yeah. There is a lot of tension, and we've been having a lot of problems lately. Everybody has a different vision of where to go from here. It's not just Axel and Slash. I don't know when our new album is going to happen or who is still going to be in the band. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, well, I've got news for you. Yeah. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I know. Uh, article so is not about him at all. 1994, would this be uh, before or after the sub the spaghetti incident, I guess no, after it would have been released. Oh, would have been released. They talk about the the Manson track that Axl Rose recorded. Right, yeah. and yeah. apparently Classic. it's the only album that Gilby Clark ever played on with Guns N' Roses. Really? Yeah, that's what yeah. it says in there. It, yeah, he was just always on stage. He didn't actually play yeah. on the records. He got recruited, I think, after the Illusions albums came out. Yeah. Okay, so was he? But was he touring for Usual Illusions? Like, was he like a, a guy on stage at that yes. point? Okay, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, I get it. Right. But I th I think that he basically joined the band. He toured with the band, and they basically kind of went on hiatus because Axl Rose had Axl Rose had all these issues, right? Started so falling apart. So he, he yeah. Gilby even says in the <laughs> air quotes, like, he's like, this album could come out in five months. It can come out in five years. Like. Yeah, we know. Right. So <laughs> yeah, we know. Gilby's actually smart because he's like, I'm going to put out my solo record. Yeah, now, exactly. And keep myself busy. You know what? Good for him because he was like, he was recruited into the band, probably didn't get too deep rooted in it. And he's yeah. like, okay, well, this is a circus. Yeah, yeah. I might as well just keep doing my own thing and It's kind of a, you know, out. a studio guy or whatever. It's like their dream to just get like recruited into these things. I mean, yeah. I've seen this a lot where, yeah, like these people are just like professional jobbers. They're just in and out of bands. A lot of like drummers, the especially players, yeah. these awesome session players, 
they've had a great life. If you've got a steady gig and you're always playing in big bands, but you know, no one really knows who you are, so you can still walk down the street, you're still making money, you're still doing exactly what you want to do. It's fantastic. Yeah, you're basically living the dream as an artist. Yeah. But one of those guys, their dream is to be the lead singer and to put, be putting out their songs and have bands playing their songs, right? Right, that's, so that's true. that's probably their, uh, some of their struggle as well, right? Yeah. It's just like the sound guy that you see at the side being like the guitar tech. Mm. And <laughs> that guy is like, I couldn't make it as a, you could make it as a session player or <laughs> the, the songwriter or whatever, right? Right, so yeah. You know. Yeah. Everyone's got their thing. But hey, I mean, a guy like that, you know, if he wants to write his own songs, I mean, he did sort of put out his own album. Uh-huh. Hey, it's better marketing. Sure. Better marketing oh, yeah. as the guy from oh, Guns N' Roses than oh, a guy you've never heard of. Yeah. He'd have to stretch. That's his hot iron right here. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. He yes. Yeah, it absolutely is. A, so Axel guessed it on one track and even had Frank Black from the Pixies. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. That was a good Which was cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it's way better than marrying Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, my God. You know, so at least wait, he's wait. making his own decisions wait, here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Only two choices. So <laughs> I feel like we need to listen to that album and then listen to Chinese Democracy mm-hmm. and see which one's better. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's great. Gilby Clark also produced one of my favorite albums of the 2000s, The Bronx, their first record, which sounds just, it's like a, it's a punk ACDC. It's really, really good. Like, uh, it's. Yeah, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. One of the best track one side ones ever. And I remember like seeing that he produced it, like this other like LA guy. So again, like I'm just number one, he did a great record. He really pulled that together for them. I think they did it in like a week. And number two, you see this guy, he's still probably doing just fine in LA. Just like he's probably still on stage. You're probably playing right. Playing with dudes, doing whatever, producing records. I think Dave, my buddy, went to LA one time and he stumbled into a bar on Hollywood boulevard and it was like every jobber guy in every hair metal band on stage just like with their band (laughs) and probably playing covers uh, (laughs) great columbia hosts yeah insert which i don't think we've seen too many of these in the other well certainly cardstock yeah it's well but i mean we've done some this is the the namesake of the uh of the podcast now we have eight cds for a penny on this one I know that we we've we've there's it's made a switch to Cut ten CDs. Cutbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this up uh, this yeah. uh, there's there's a few of these cardstock ones in this issue. Yeah. That was the cornerstone of buying music in the nineties, getting these ten CDs. That's your start of your collection. Yeah. And you'd wait around until there was a two for one deal. Because yeah. <laughs> like, you got roped in. I think it took me like five years to pay these guys off. It took me all of high school. I never, I never partook in the like the ten really? CDs. Really? I don't think I did CDs. either. The reason why I was do that? I was so extremely afraid of like owing way too much money that I just didn't do it. So I would oh, like I dub my, my brother and sister's music. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. my mom discouraged me thinking it was like a scam or something. Or oh, that I was yeah. like some oh, and, fine and I ended up being the one who scammed these guys. I found every weird yeah, loophole and scam to get CDs. Did you really? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think it was a really good deal. Once you like <laughs> look for all the like the deals and all that kind of stuff with it. No, I wasn't that bright. <laughs> no, I, I ordered the CD. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with this? I ordered the CDs 
and I called them and said I never got them. <laughs> and then they sent them to me all again. And I took the first batch and sold those and then paid wow. for my so you, Columbia. You you You're smart. The scammers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you scammed the scammers. You're a smart kid. <laughs> Wow! I could never I lie. Have of I that. could never lie like that. No. <laughs> you know wow. why? 1994. His face, his face was aghast that I would uh, tear his good name. <laughs> Turning the page, we have a dual feature splits Splitsville here. One side is Coolio, <laughs> and the other side is Oasis. <laughs> Practically the same band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Coolio, Coolio had nothing to say in this. Like they, they pulled almost no sound bites out of out of whatever interview they had from him. That's true, because like all he says is, "Yeah, I never thought this would happen to me, and it's great." Yeah. and that's pretty much all they get out of him. I see. I get, this is for Fantastic Voyage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah it is. Yeah, this is pre Dangerous Mind soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this was a hit. I mean, okay, oh, yeah, I it's not like we didn't. I, I needed to say it was a hit, but. That was all over the place that summer. It was a groovy song. Um, Oasis. I mean, we could get into this forever, but this is so. Wait, <laughs> this is my this, brother the is potato? This like first kind of appearance in yeah. Rolling Stone? Because yeah. it's a sidebar. Yeah, like, I know. Like, sidebar. This is probably like, the last. This is probably the smallest Oasis article yeah. Rolling Stone ever had. You're sure. probably right. Yeah. So this is for their brand new record. The record actually came out in September. Definitely, maybe. Uh, definitely maybe in the UK was the fastest selling to number one album in UK history when it came out. Like it just exploded like anything. It the this record never really like hit too big in the US. Like I mean, I remember all these songs and they were obviously big later. It was What's the Story, the one mm -hmm. later that was like the real worldwide one. The first thing we see in this article is the Gallagher brothers insulting each other and saying how they don't like each other. This is your introduction to them, right? I was like, this has been going on this long since <laughs> record one, you guys hate each other? And also, I just want to just launch into my theory here that the Oasis brothers, the Gallagher brothers, do not hate each other. That's my theory. This has been their long-standing marketing You're thing. You're kidding me. You think so? I think it's real. I, I think, think it's real. I was about to say too. the fact yeah. that it was right from the beginning shows yeah. how genuine it is. But I like no, but tell I think tell they're us just more. I just think they're like supposed to be these scrappy guys who are like hate everything and like all their songs they're even quoting in here is saying uh, we're singing about being young and wanting to escape from where you're from. We're not singing about how we're not singing about how crap life is. We're singing about how great it could be. And they're just supposed to be like these it's almost supposed to be punk. It's almost supposed to be like there's these working class guys and they're just supposed to like kind of hate everything and just be like brawlers. And they're just saying like, oh, my brother's an idiot. Like I have to be in a band with him and this and that. It's been going on forever. And I'm like, how could you have hated your brother that long and stayed in a band for close to 20 years? And just one sec, John, every subsequent now they've broken up and only news they ever bring out to like will they reunite or i hate my brother i'm like guys we've done this to fucking death but they're like, broken up and they're still fighting which is proof that it's it's real okay. no i think it's that's family. their i think that's their only shtick it's family it is relevant to note right now jackson is an only child <laughs> i have a brother <laughs> oh that's true that's true who else do either of you have brothers uh, yeah brother and a sister, I a sister. Yeah. i have a brother and I can and certainly I <laughs> no, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. John hates his brother. But but I can certainly understand um, how if we were to start a band, we would probably get on each other's nerves. 
These guys course. have only been in a band for like a year. How bad has it been? <laughs> yeah, but, but they've they known each other <laughs> for 20 years. And then they decided to make a band together. What a they were probably panting each other and beating up on each other <laughs> like for years. Love-hate relationship. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. You know, but we love... Haven't you ever had a frenemy, a love-hate relationship? I was going to say, yeah. Absolutely, but I haven't like started a band with them and then stayed in a band with them for 18 years or however long maybe these guys were in a band. I mean, like I know for... Maybe that, yeah. yeah, maybe that's like... Well, it's partly that, normal. but <laughs> imagine that the band you were in with those good friends who you loved and hated actually started taking off and you decided to uh, mm. actually... Commit, you know, your lip and just kind of, yeah, it, right? yeah, commit, just do it. Yeah, 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 yeah all right. You know what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> I w- you know I who I'm talking about. I absolutely would do it. Hey man, we're finally making it. We're I making know, it. I know I hate you, but let's just <laughs> let's just work this out together. Yeah. And how much do you put up with? And that's why, because what what I find, what I believe is genuine is the is the brother hate, but I. Along with it, I also believe that both of them really, really wanted to be rock stars. Sure. So they were tolerating each other for as long as they could in the name of being rock stars. Yes. Like, I wonder how, like, fast, like, they would have, I wonder how far they would have taken this without getting signed. Because these guys are another anomaly. They put together this band pretty much a year before this. They had played around Manchester. They went to one gig in Scotland, and they got signed to Creation Records and made a record. <laughs> like yeah. they went yeah. to one gig. They're like, "Oh yeah, you guys, we'll give you, yeah. a, we'll sign you right now." Like that doesn't happen. And you well, know what? but I think it did then. Yeah. I mean, it, it did then. Okay, like, it does then. I mean, the things like yeah. that. But I'm saying, like, after being a band for such a short time, being like kind of local heroes, and then just going out of one out of town gig and going to the one gig that had the one producer of owner of creation records there <laughs> like oh yeah i'll sign you guys after seeing you once that sounds good well it's yeah. interesting because nowadays i would absolutely believe that noel knew he was that he was going to be there yeah and that they like or I'm somehow i'm sure, I, that, I'm sure that was version of the truth yeah oh, oh yeah that's okay. calculated that for sure because okay. the other thing too is we don't know how like how long was okay they were a band for a year how long was noel writing songs a while. He was like writing songs. But for he was a long also time. like a guitar tech too. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, let's not forget that he was already like an industry person. So yeah. he kind of already knows like how things work. Ooh, and, I feel and, like and that bolstered my too. theory that he might have. Yeah. Um, who was the Creation Records guy? Alan Alan McGee. Alan McGee. Yeah. I'd also yeah. say that this quote um, is the most positive quote I've ever heard from either of their mouths. <laughs> Which and is they what? Didn't curse at all. Just what the one that you just oh. read. Yeah. It's just like we just wanted to escape. We wanted to be you know have fun and blah 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 he didn't say anything like like f what anyone thinks yeah like, yeah yeah you know like yeah. screw off you know whatever i i have i have heard those guys say like in their early career when they were talking about these you know forming the band it's a really good notion that like these guys came from nothing their parents were just like working class people and you know it's one of those things where everybody always says like oh don't be in a band you'll never get anywhere you just got to get a job and they pretty much just said, my mom was a house cleaner. My dad like did whatever. It's like, uh, well, what's the difference? And it's like, <laughs> I either make no money there or I could just try to be in a band and make probably about the same amount of money and just do what I like. Like, that's, You might as well try to do something. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> oh that's a really good point. I might as well try being an artist. Yeah, because what's, it's not like you're making any money. <laughs> Where's my example? Cleaning a house isn't going to make me that much more cash. Exactly. I might as well do what I love. 
One thing that I actually really love about this Oasis article is that they call out the the T-Rex influence mm -hmm. on those songs, which is pretty heavy in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. T-Rex and Beatles. Yeah. Well, because yeah. Beatles was the obvious one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Beatles but was the But T-Rex is more interesting. Yeah, T yeah it's, it's all in those guitar riffs. I mean, and yeah. it's not like Mark Boland had like an amazing musical talent for playing guitar or whatever, but he certainly had like his like typical places that he would go when he would play. And he, uh, I think Oasis definitely, um, definitely did that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they good call. emulated it. I will say, like, just on the fact that uh, we were talking about, like, this is probably the smallest thing that they ever did in Rolling Stone. This is the sidebar for the first record. I looked it up today. They were. This is September '94. By spring '96, they were on the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I kind of imagined. Yeah, like. Of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it did not take long. They were painted 250. Maybe there was maybe I'd be curious as to whether there was something like prior to what's the story Morning Glory being like, "Oh, remember Oasis? They have another album coming out." Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Like maybe there was something small like that. Right, yeah. right. Um look at this if you want. <laughs> yeah, I know, pass over the Is that journalism. A perfume sample, sorry. I tried I to swore. smell it. It, it doesn't smell like. <laughs> <laughs> what the perfume smell hasn't lasted after 25 years? I thought it would. <laughs> I was going on my big date. I thought it would work. <laughs> I probably your five year your like five year wedding anniversary. You're just rubbing the paint. I was gonna say I probably rubbed this on before my grade nine dance. <laughs> yeah, my grade nine much have, music video dance. You don't have money when you're in grade nine. <laughs> Are you trying to take a picture I of the took smell? A picture of it. <laughs> you can rub that on later, Jess. <laughs> okay, so flipping the page and moving on, we come to the Thurston Moore feature interview. So one thing that I love about this Sonic Youth article is how much he like supports how much Kim's decisions are in the band overall. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, it's almost like I felt like I should have been hearing from her, but I was hearing from him Yeah. in a way. And I also thought it was very cool that... Um, like, was she the first person to do this, like, clothing label stuff? Or no. were there other artists doing that Well, before? here's the thing. So oh, she had X-Girl, but this is right after... She had X-Girl, and I think it was right after, I want to say, X-Large, which was Mike D. Yeah. So I think... the same time? It was the same time, and I don't think... Yeah. I don't yeah. know if they were, like, officially, like, related brands, oh, but okay. I think it was, like... Hey, you've got X large. We're gonna do X girl. Okay, cool. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, sure. like I, I, it might have been, it might have been a subsidiary of, or like it might have been officially related to X large. Oh, like I they worked together. I'm yeah. not Somehow. sure. Oh, interesting. Um, but either I mean, way. you know. So this is so okay. So this Thurston Moore interview is promoting uh, experimental, jet experimental jet set. Yes. Trash and no star. Uh -huh. I had this CD. Ninety four. Ninety four. Full on the heaven. So that's interesting what you said, though, Jess. Like, why is it that we're just getting a Thurston Moore interview and not, I mean. Because he talked the most. I know he talked the most. Yeah. And I mean, Kim Gordon, was she just, I mean, I know well, Kim the other Gordon. Thing to I mean, note, like, she's a little soft-spoken. Did she really want to do an but interview? But the other thing to note about this interview that's one of the major parts of the interview is that um, two months before this issue comes out and probably weeks, if not at the exact same Weeks after, sorry, weeks before this interview, 
um, their daughter was born. Right. That's right. That's right. So she was probably just like, eh. I'm yeah. being a mom, you yeah. go yeah, yak fair to enough. Yeah, yeah. Fair And also, enough. it's like Kim Gordon. She's probably not chomping at the bit in 1994 to talk to Rolling Stone. Probably. Whereas maybe Thurston will talk to anyone. Okay, so maybe she was uh, too cool and too preoccupied with like running her record, the, like various record labels, doing her clothing label. Right. Also being a working, mom to a being newborn. Being a mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, so working with reasons. the band. Yeah, right. Making decisions about the creative vision for the band Good or call. whatever it is, you know. So I found that very interesting. Because this was also a time when they were, they put this album out, but they didn't tour. Oh, okay. Yeah, they didn't tour this album for... Because the situation, like, obviously they had the baby, but then there was also a thing around this time where um, Experimental was the first album that didn't have any Lee songs. And there was, like, lots of rumors swirling at this oh, time that, that uh, Lee was going to quit or he oh, was okay. unhappy. Um, and they do reference um, Thurston is in the midst of recording Psychic Hearts, his solo album. Okay. So the band is kind of, it's not. I mean, literally, they put out Washing Machine the next year and then did Lollapalooza and a a tour and did a really long tour after. But um, at this time, like for for this album, they just kind of put it out and then did a bunch of other stuff for like six months. And I guess immediate they must have immediately recorded Washing Machine. Right. Okay. And then toured that. Right. Mm. So my main thing I took away from this article is is Thurston Moore just the coolest guy <laughs> I just I don't even know how else to put that everything about him he was just kind of the the dad of this entire generation him and Kim and like I mean the rest of the band they were all older than everybody but they took everyone under their wing these guys came up through the 80s they never got to be as big as all the bands that they repped and like pushed and championed yeah. but they still got an amazing career everyone respects them they never did anything embarrassing and just the stuff that he name drops in this article, I was just on Spotify all day. <laughs> just typing. Just like, like, just like oh, cross-referencing. Oh, that went. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, if I had, had these, like, access to the internet in 1994 to type in all of these things and just listen to one-offs that he, oh, my God, I would have been the coolest kid in school. Well, this was sort of the height. <laughs> this was sort of the height and of him being, like, you know, alternative rock dad. Yeah. Because I think after this, like, they were always around, obviously. But actually, I don't know those for sure. I'd be kind of curious to find out how many more Rolling Stone interviews he did. Because I can imagine that they would have probably paid a little less attention to them as time went on. I mean, this was the height of, like, alternative nation right now. Mm. And, I mean, yeah, like, they, everybody would have, Rolling Stone certainly would have moved on. But, I mean, Sonic Youth kept having a great career up until, like, ten years ago. Yeah, I think through the whole article, I agree with you, Jackson. It's uh, he seems like a pretty humble personality, and like like just like properly just wants to support the the artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just this champion of the underground, and he just yeah. wants to like name drop all these people. So everybody. Like I don't know if I go so far as to yeah. say humble, but well, uh, I think yeah, yeah, okay. He, I know. he 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 took some pleasure out of being like, look at all I know. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I of course. So course you have to be proud of you know what you do 
right. These guys were my parents' age. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like oh yeah. yeah. Kim Gordon's a year younger than my mom. She's a year older than my mom. <laughs> she's the same age as my dad. And yeah. her new album, <laughs> yeah, is really good. It came out I know on Friday. They're saying that it's the best post Sonic Youth. Oh yeah, it is. Out of any of them. I mean, cool. well, because yeah. both I would Thurston that. and yeah. Lee have gone like Lee's gone pretty dad rock, mm. you know, in a way, and. Uh, uh, Thurston's last album was good, but it was just sort of, you know, it was good, but uninteresting. But her, she put out like a punk album. Yeah. And like, there's like hip hop like guys on there and yeah. stuff too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even checked it out yet, but, uh, I listened to it this morning. Everything I'm hearing is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I could probably sing one of the songs right now. Yeah. <laughs> like I heard it's like challenging to listen to, but like in a very, very good way. Yeah. Yeah. Not like Pretty on the Inside. Not like Pretty on the Inside. <laughs> <laughs> and they're yeah. talking about his daughter, Coco, just being born. Coco, of course. I know. So Coco, Coco Haley, Gordon Moore. David Frick asks him, but you'll have to maintain a certain discipline as she grows up. Can you imagine making decisions about her life that might affect the way you felt as a teenager? And he says, it's hard to envision her at 21. When she's 21, I'll be in my 50s. It's really hard to tell what the climate of America will be like. Oh. I know. I, know. <laughs> I read that today and I was just like, oh man, music is like so messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's not and the, the same at America. all. <laughs> yeah. It's not well, and of course, the other thing about this article too is that being, uh, I think you referenced this earlier that like, you know, being 1994, they ask him a lot of questions about Kurt Cobain. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. They ask him um, a ton of stuff. So, I mean, I mean, that's really relevant. Now, when you see, you know, people, they constantly, I think even when, Kim Gordon put out her book, which was, you know, maybe like four or five years ago. Yeah. They were doing interviews about her knowing Kurt Cobain. I'm like, we're still asking people about, like, yeah. tell me a story about Kurt yeah. Cobain. Still hungry. Yeah. But this, I get. I mean, Kurt just died like four months ago. So, like, you get why. why and at that time, because asked. of, you know, things like, um, like they, uh, Sonic Youth and Nirvana. Like, they'd known each other, I guess, since the late 80s. Like, they first... The Sonic Youth... For, well, yeah. before that, though. Like, yeah. they sort of saw Nirvana... I think they, they saw him at uh, Maxwell's here the first time in Hoboken. So that would have been for... Ble- I think it was Bleach Era, and he said they we walked in and they were playing Love Buzz. Yeah. And then, so they met them then and kind of, I guess, stayed in touch. And then the year that Punk broke documentary... Um, yeah. So they did the European nice. tour yeah. right before Nevermind got big, and it's sort of like the last, you know, that documentary serves as kind of a time capsule of like sort of Kurt right before he became super famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so even in this, they kind of I think uh, Thurston makes reference to sort of the relationship between. Um, him and Kim? Yeah. Kurt Kurt and Kim? Yeah, Kurt and Kim and sort of her trying to kind of keep him on the level. And mm. Yeah. Yeah, she was right. Kurt, Kurt was always looking for a mom. So, yeah, like Kim would fill that role very And he tells, I think he tells the story about, uh, you know, he went to see the raincoats, like, oh, yeah. the night after he died or something and kind of said, like, oh, I wish I'd called him, you know. I yeah, and he goes, yeah. he goes, I bet there's lots of people who think, like, oh, I should have... Right. 
right. said this or I should have said that. I know. It's a tough thing when you think, like, you know, after something like that happens. Like, if I had just done this one thing, if I brought him to this concert, he yeah. like would have known like, he if had a friend. One, If one specific moment in his life or their lives could have been a little bit different, yeah. they might still be here today. One thing that I really love in this article is that is when Thurston was describing one of the times they went in to see Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Kirk O'Main comes ripping out, out of the stage, drops right into the audience, plays the tune, and then is like brought back to the stage for the first line of the song. Wow. Love that story. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that he's is talking so about. cool. Yeah, like he's talking <laughs> about how, um, uh, you know, through the early 90s, Sonic Youth started playing a little heavier and a little louder. And you can see that on like Dirty. But they were doing it because they were playing shows with Nirvana and he was doing stuff like that. Right. And they were like, oh, how man. they're blowing us out of the water here. Like, yeah, we got to do, do that. Yeah. yeah, he makes that quote in here. He's like, how are we going to follow this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but this, I, I, I do want to read that. How much of Sonic Youth's legacy did you see in Kurt Cobain the first time you saw Nirvana? And he says, I first met him uh, when Nirvana came here and played Maxwell's in Hoboken. Bleach wasn't even out yet. They just had this one single, Love Buzz. And this girl, Susan Sasek, who does our lights, had done the label art for the single. As soon as I walked in the room, I knew there was a total rock god thing happening. These guys were like children of the corn. <laughs> they wore ripped flannel, had long, greasy hair, total backwards, fl- backwoods freaks. I remember talking to them at Maxwell's. And then he says the next night Sonic Youth was playing at uh, Irving Plaza and they gave me a Nirvana t-shirt and said, would you wear this on stage? <laughs> and st- and then Jay Maskus of Dinosaur Jr. went with us and Kurt asked him if he wanted to join Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Jay Maskus and Nirvana? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. The guitar tones. They always kind of say that it yeah, was... It was it like, yeah. Oh, woo. man. Everything in like the fifth position. He probably yeah. would have just <laughs> ended up their drummer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it would have been just like Jay like quietly pushing them around. I, I don't like, like it. Marketing prowess <laughs> with the t shirt. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's probably I think he was savvier than. I think that's sort of an underrated uh, quality of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he wanted, to, he wanted to be a rock star. He wanted to be big. I just don't think, as I always say, he realized how big he was going to get and how shitty it was going to be. Like he wanted to be known, he wanted to, he wanted fame, but I don't think he realized that he'd have like fourteen people around him. It literally says in this article, "The King of Rock and Roll." It says, um, "The King of Rock and Roll was the last thing he wanted to be, where he was surrounded by fourteen caretakers because he was an important figure. His nature was one of rebelling against structure." I'm like, it's so true. Kurt just wanted to be that rebellious kid and this punk rock kid, and all of a sudden he's this rock star with all these handlers telling him what to do and it was the shittiest life yeah Yeah. i don't don't think he he definitely didn't want to be as big as he got it's just everyone he looked up to was big but not as big as he got yeah yeah that's true beyond everyone right Mm -hmm. yeah he wanted to be dinosaur jr and sonic youth but he ended up becoming michael jackson yeah basically Yeah. yeah i think that's a good point just one more thing i had pulled out of this thurston talks a lot about punk rock because he man the life that I could have, like, if I could have just stepped into Thurston's shoes for so many moments of his life, like moving to New York in the mid-late 70s and being in that punk scene. David Frick asked him, do you think the term punk rock has been devalued? Everything st- seems to be called punk these days. And, and Thurston replies, like that band Live is punk rock? <laughs> and he goes, okay, as an example. <laughs> and he goes... 
But, you know, they might as well be punk rock. You'll watch those guys on TV and complain, oh, they're so nice and nerdy. There's, this is no different from Brian Adams. I ran into live at a bookstore uptown. They came up to me and said, hey, Thurston, what's your, when's your new record coming out? And I was thinking, these guys are 10 years my junior, listening to Sonic Youth Records, Husker Du, Black Flag, Minuteman, R.E.M. They started this band. They're really into this kind of music. So, yeah, they're punk rock. <laughs> they came out of that world. I like the idea that this becomes more and more disparate. The harder it is to define a term like punk rock, the better it is to me. I'm like, that's punk rock. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Why define yourselves, right? And I mean, I, I just think that punk, the more and more you define it is the more unpunk it becomes. And I've heard, yeah. you know, like, I mean, like punk is supposed to be all about you know, individuality and pushing the limits. And I read this thing one time was saying like the most punk thing you could ever do is like wear a full suit to a punk show because you'd be different from everybody yes. else. He goes, but no one does that. Everybody has to have their punk uniform. And then you just become one mass, which is not what it's supposed to be about. Mm. I'm sure people. Sound, yeah, I'm sure yeah. somebody's done it, but still that, that like, that's a good move. That's well, a good I think move. that's one of the reasons I've been, I don't know if this is true or not, but like I listened to Sonic Youth a lot in high school and they've always been one of my favorite bands. And so I knew, you know, songs like Catholic Block or like, um, you know, White Cross. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my, I, to me, that was almost an introduction to punk. Like You're right. those were like punk songs. And when sort of 90s punk, like, you know, I guess I kind of, I guess I heard Green Day and Offspring before I heard, you know, the album Sister and, stuff like that like i only knew when they came out i was just hearing um some sonic youth on like dirty and stuff but you know right away like becoming a sonic youth fan it gives you this certain um idea of what punk can be yeah and that sounds very conceited in a way or like pretentious no i don't think so but mm. i know that when punk became big and you've got Green Day and Offspring into Rancid. And to me at the time, that didn't do it for me. And it all felt kind of packaged and poppy in a way. Yeah. Diluted punk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree. With Whereas that. like, you know, listening to Sonic Youth and then, you know, I think of bands like Cap and Jazz where as long as you were just like playing with a crazy amount of energy, that yeah. it was like, okay, you can call it punk. Yeah. If you're being loud and you can just play with energy, I'm like, oh, that's punk. Whatever. Is it punk to just like completely like ditch that label though? Like <laughs> and just think I just going back to this is like our live punk. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it cool well, to now just say everything is sort punk of like, just, like destroy that, that you, definition? You can like be punks, but then write lightning crashes i don't know yeah yeah yeah. you're true it's true you I can mean, be punks and you can write uh time of your life or whatever that's yeah yeah, right, yeah yeah you know like did i mean like the replacements they were punk but they had this like yeah of, but they like weren't sweet, really they sweet vibe too yeah they didn't really write punk rock and actually that's a good example of a band that was just like a ramshackle kind of rock band yeah. but they behaved like punks and then over time as they became kind of more well, comparatively, anyways, more together or more like better songwriters. Like, you wouldn't call them punk by the time they were done. But right, right. Oh, 
flipping the page to <laughs> style 1994. Style 1994. It's Pat is in there. There's it's a lot. Pat. Wow. There's a lot in there, Jess. of Whoa. It's Pat. And I'm just going right to... Now. Leave. Wait. What? Well, is this promotion for the movie? Yes. Oh. So it's for the It's Pat movie. It's Julia Sweeney as Pat in a whole bunch of funny little funny. photo shoot things doing style. S- Julia Sweeney's gender-bending character goes to Hollywood. Oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> oh my okay, gosh. Okay, okay. So 1994, man. 1994. Okay, so it's Pat, the movie, made $60,000 at the box office. Yeah, worst ever. And Jess, <laughs> who is the band? It in was Ween. It's Pat. <laughs> I know. Ween was in It's Pat. That's right. So the most interesting thing I looked up today, I looked up It's Pat, and I looked up <laughs> the movie on IMDb, and it's uh, the director is a guy named Adam Bernstein. And Adam Bernstein directed. Pushing up the date, push the little daisies by Ween music video. You're kidding me. Then he directed It's Pat, so he put Ween in the movie. (laughs) Well, I thought she was just a big fan or something. Okay, I would just, I'm just going by process of elimination. Sure, sure. It must have been that. Hey, let's put Ween in this movie. It can't get any worse. Oh, yeah. I know it's bad that movie. Um, but he was a uh, he was like a video director, uh, a, a music video director generation, which I think practically everyone was. You yeah. directed music videos, and then you got to direct a movie. Um, he directed this, which was a total piece of shit. <laughs> but then I looked up his credits. He has had a if if you you talk about Julia Sweeney, this was it for her. He has had a solid career. Look oh up his IMDb. Right? He is directing up to this day and every great television show you can think of. Like Breaking right? Bad, like all these awesome Yeah, I was going to say that name. When you right? said it, it almost yeah. sounded familiar. Look him up yeah. on IMDb. He did seven music videos for They Might Be Giants between 86 and 92. Oh, he's got a love for the eccentric. Exactly. Yeah. He did Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Wow. wow. Yeah, oh. Fargo TV show. I really like that. Yeah, he did Fargo. He did Love Shack by the B-52s. He did Hey Ladies by Beastie Boys and Push the Little Daisies by Ween. And, CanCon alert, Alternative Girlfriend by Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, my God. Imagine cutting your teeth on the It's Pat movie. That's your calling card and then somehow getting a career out of it. Yeah. Oh, good for him. I know. Okay, last but not least. What do you think was Let's number one in the one charts? In the charts. <laughs> September 94. September 94. Okay. But um, I'm going to actually do a bigger list here. I'm going to count back because there's a lot of cool stuff on here. Um, and also, I think in like previous episodes, I kind of overlapped these. So there's some okay. other good ones. I'm going to start at the most interesting one on here. Uh, number 18 on the list. Here, here is a moment in time, 1994. The Benedictine monks of Santo Domenico de Silos. What? Chant? Remember wow. the monk wow. record yes. chant? Wow. Yes, that was very... <laughs> that was the time. Yeah, and then the Simpsons parodied it with the rap and rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did not remember that at all no, that the, no just like over my head guys i feel like i'm not in on the joke number 17 i don't care but uh <laughs> alan jackson who i am i always had to put a country artist on here yeah and i always say that like half the time they're number one it's never 
ever a country artist ever mentioned in Rolling Stone, and then they're number one in the charts every time. Mm-hmm. Was well, this is this <coughs> Billboard charts or is yeah, this, this is Billboard's top forty albums, right? Um, but that's like indicative of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that they had to put it on. I no, think that it's that popular. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, they didn't have to put on the Benedictine monks. It was just that popular. Exactly. Yeah, that was. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> Who bought that? Who marketed that? You know what? Those Let's see the chance. Yeah. Who are those guys now? Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> they're making beer. Um, <laughs> they're dead. Um, <laughs> number sixteen, first soundtrack of the list. Anyone who want a fair guess on the nineteen ninety four soundtrack that Judgment would be on Knight? here? No, good, good, good one. The Crow. No, not the Singles? Crow. No, Keep sing- going. Oh, wait. Uh, reality Bites. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, nice one. <laughs> reality Bites soundtrack. Yeah, we got there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this one, I don't know if you guys are going to know, but uh, number 15 is MC8, We Come Strapped. Eight is spelled E-I-H-T. This was total West Coast gangsta thug. And the only reason I really know this guy, and I mean, obviously he was doing really well. He's number 15 on Billboard charts. He's in Menace to Society. So he's one of the guys in Menace to Society, but he's an actual like rapper. So, I mean, they had to get Ice Cube in Boys in the Hood, so they put MC8 into Menace to Society. He's one of the actors, and he has a song in Menace to Society's soundtrack. This is pretty much where you take to Menace. Yeah. But, hey, man, hopefully he made some cash off this and kept going. He tried. Uh, number 14, another uh, rapper that we already talked about in this Coolio. issue. Coolio. 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 It takes a thief. Uh, number 13, like, 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 let's just like start recapping this entire episode. Number 13, punk band. Offspring. Nope. Offspring. Well, I was going to say Dookie. Day? Green Day Dookie. Yeah. Okay. Number 12, this is the height of the R&B boy band era. This is a one. This is a total one hitter, but a big song. Uh, all, all, uh, for well, silk. Nope. Oh, good. Wow, silk ripping at <laughs> silk, Jess. First cut is the deepest. <laughs> is that who you had on your bedroom wall <laughs> at the time? Yeah. No. I just remember wait, they had this like super raunchy tune that oh, okay. was like popular for a short right, period right, of time, right. sometime around there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not color mm-hmm. me bad. Mm-hmm. It's somebody like that, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. very close. All for one. The British dudes. No, no, all for one is. It's not. I want to sex you up. Is it? No, <laughs> no. It's, it's color not. me bad. No, okay. it's this. <laughs> I swear. Oh, wow. By the, the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Like, All right. <laughs> All right, I do remember that. Now you know. Those those guys never did anything else, right? That was it. Sounds no, like that something came on at, like the dance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I slow danced to that. Yeah, well, exactly. 94 would have been uh, middle yeah. school dance. Mm-hmm. Did you just say you heard the demo? Oh, okay. Yes, I thought you had I, I thought you had the demo. I thought you were trying to say like I was cooler than you. I had the demo, the all for one demo. <laughs> From Turkey. <laughs> Go 
go get it. Uh, number 11, the other punk band. Offspring uh, Smash. Offspring, yeah. Offspring Smash, number 11. Mm. I know. Uh, number 10, Tim McGraw, Not a Moment Too Soon. That's a good record. Yep. No idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, here's one. Number nine. This is the... Um, this is the, the decline of grunge when everybody's just scooping up anything that's like a watered down mall punk version of grunge. Space hog. No. Little little too later. early. Little too early. Oh, Don't say damn. <laughs> candle. Yes. Candles. Oh, candle box. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Candle box friends. Yeah. yeah. They were 1994 after grunge already died. I don't know why. That's literally you said like. You're like bottom of the barrel grunge, and I was like, Candlebox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Candlebox. <laughs> They're on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Play it, Jess. <laughs> Shred it. <laughs> I just remember that little guitar interlude. They're on Maverick. Madonna's label. She was good at picking up people who sold records. Um, Got to put a little more money in Madonna's pocket. <laughs> um, number eight, huge grunge band, 1994. Uh, Vert? No. Don't tell the power. Nope. Nirvana? No. Pearl Jam. Alice in Chains. Next one. Soundgarden? There you go. <laughs> super unknown. <laughs> oh, yeah. Super unknown. I remember. I was like, you're going through the list like yeah, when I used to do. ask my dad. Hey, Dad, who's this on the radio? And my dad would just go through all those five bands until he got to the <laughs> Soundgarden, yes. Uh, this was uh, Noyen's favorite record of this year. Rolling Stones, Voodoo Lounge. <laughs> Sing it. Uh, number six. Oh, super fun. Everybody loved these guys. Uh, huge hit this year. Uh, DGC band. This year? Uh, sorry, not this year. 1994. Oh. I'm, I, I'm not giving up clues. It's the Counting Crows. <laughs> oh, August Rose and everything Band. after. Yeah. Yeah, they were DGC. <laughs> I think they were on something like that. Yeah, they're DGC records, yeah. yeah. Oh, Rarities, yeah. yeah. They had a Rarities song. Yeah, they were yep, there. absolutely. I know that song. I can think I of love it. Those. They were fun, man. Um, number five, here's the other like post-grunge band that was gigantic that we already kind of named. <laughs> Huge band, 1994. They still won't stop playing. Like I hear this song on the radio every single day. Third Eye Blind. No. Blind Melon. No. Good, 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 good guess, though. The Stone Temple Pilots. Oh, purple. I said right. that. <laughs> Did you? You said some. You you guessed that. Yeah, check the tape. <laughs> <laughs> check the tape. Let's go to the tape. You said it last time. You didn't say it this time. Yeah, you can't just say it every time and hope it right. Number four, Warren G. Regulate, C Funk oh, era. Damn, C. Yeah. Uh, number three. Okay, now we're into the the three, two, one here. Who is like the biggest pop band of of this? Uh, of this year, this is no, this is week thirty-seven for them on the charts, and they're at number three. And they're a pop band, the boy band. No pop band. Pardon me, we have not talked about them. Oh jeez, ninety-three. 
Uh, okay, what era of this would have been? Would have been late, mid, early for them? Uh, this would have been debut record, I think. Oh, okay. Debut record. They've been on the charts for 37 weeks at this point in September. I mean, I keep wondering if, like, Boys to Men are going to show up. Boys to Men are not going to show up. I will say that. Okay. Which is weird. I don't know how they're not on this list at this point. They it's probably not. dropped a record, like, a month later. Yeah. It's not like Montel Jordan. No. You're, you're I mean, okay. We're not going to guess here all night. It's Ace of Base, the sign. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, just ABBA Part Two. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's ABBA Part Two. And it's uh, who was the producer? Max, Max Martin. That was his like his first effort was the the sign, and then he produced every gigantic pop record till right now. How is that right? Yeah, like everything. Boys to Men, InSync, Britney Spears. Just keep naming people. He's a he's worked with everyone. billionaire, and no one knows who he is. He can walk down the street any day of the week, but he's written <coughs> every gigantic pop song in the last 25 years. Wow. It's incredible. What a great place to be. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's amazing, eh? Mm. Uh, okay. Number two and one are soundtracks. <laughs> Number two. We already said Reality Bites. We already said Reality Bites. Now we're talking huge, huge movies, huge soundtracks at this point. We're at number two and one. So number two, mm. big soundtracks of 1994. Wuthering Heights. Yeah, <laughs> Wuthering Heights. <laughs> Heathcliff sings the blues. So, okay, so soundtrack. So movie, uh, mm-hmm. it's a 94 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of movie is it? Is it Judgment Night, dude? No, it's not <laughs> Judgment <laughs> Night. Okay. <laughs> I wish, I wish it was Judgment Night. I wish it was Helmet and Anthrax. Or, uh, Helmet and who, who did Helmet do their song with? I don't remember. Uh, House of Pain, I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's not that one. It's not Singles. It's not Singles. Singles was 92. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Singles was earlier. Right. Was I was going to say that. beforehand. So I'm talking right. monster movie with a... Monster oh soundtrack. God, was it Godzilla? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. I don't know. Oh, I, I figured it you wasn't big enough. I figured it wasn't big enough. No. What type of movie, movie is it? Though. What type of movie like, is it? It's uh, a describe. It's oh, what type of movie is it? It's uh, a mo- a movie about a lifetime. <gasps> Forrest Gump. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a huge soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Double. Yeah, it was. Good old double album. And Jess, you have to get this one. Number one soundtrack. <laughs> Judgment Night soundtrack? <laughs> Animated movie. Animated movie? 1994. Oh. The Lion King is correct. Lion King, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. I was I was going to wait. If you couldn't get it, I was going to start. I was, because, <laughs> I accidentally, because I accidentally spoiled it for myself earlier, I was going to start singing. <laughs> Did you just say Stone Temple Pilots? <laughs> I said it again. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know. Yeah. That's it. That was 1994. That was September 1994. We oh covered everything. According to Rolling Stone. According to Rolling Stone. That's when I started smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so I started I stealing cigarettes from my mom. <laughs> this is when I, this was uh, the month I started high school. Me too. Yeah, me too. This was high yeah, school. This was grade nine for me. I don't want to remember it anymore. Yeah. Things were good for a little while. <laughs> let's then stop, they, then let's they take stop a remembering time. grade nine. All right, I'm just Wait. gonna I'm just gonna press play on all for one now. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I swear.
<laughs> I mean, yeah. I, He's on the cover. No, I mean, I it's, wasn't it's really. Jerry Seinfeld. Into, like, I didn't get a chance to reread it, and like, if we were a comedy podcast, maybe. yeah, obviously, you could you could read this and then talk about a million things. You could talk about compare it to him now or whatever. Sure, so you could have like an hour long conversation about Seinfeld yeah. based on this. Um, article probably. So let's not. The best thing is just. Yeah, this. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. <laughs> this. He's forty. She's 19. <laughs> like, all right, Seinfeld. That's you right. Is that get the that same teenage girlfriend? Is well, that's the thing. Because no, it's my not only the girl thing about married. Seinfeld uh. now is that, like, you know, obviously we're cutting all this. Like, he's one of those guys who's like, oh, college kids, you know. Like, you <laughs> What's the deal? You know, like, <laughs> you, I won't go to colleges anymore because, like, they complain and they don't, they don't laugh at anything anymore. He's one of these guys like who's, like, who's like, oh, you know, kids these days in comedy. Except that, si- like, the show has aged pretty well. It, it has. Like, most of the things that took Target at, like, close talkers and, like, mm. people who look weird under certain light. Like, it's, it wasn't. <laughs> it's, it was, not, it's not topical. It's, it's ju- pretty it's evergreen. Well, no, yeah. it, wasn't, it was, it was. The type it was going after the type of people that exist in every demographic. Yes, it wasn't going after a demographic. Right. Yeah, because like everybody's got close talkers, yeah. men, women, you know. Everybody and can then, identify. But, but the one exception is his much younger girlfriend. That yeah. was something that people were like, "What the? What is <laughs> up with that? What is up <laughs> with guys? What's the deal with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with? Um, I mean, we all get it, but how could you be dating a nineteen-year-old? Like, I can see being a rich Jerry Seinfeld guy and like having something casual and having fun, yeah. but seriously dating a 19 year old when you're 40 and you've had that much life experience, how much fun could you be having? Oh my <laughs> God. Look at him. Yeah. Look at him. <laughs> just got, yeah. He so looks like uncool. Steve, Steve jobs. He's got His bad like new balance blown. and <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. a shirt that doesn't fit, which was the style of the time. <laughs> <laughs> And her, I don't know. I don't know, whatever. But just it, the same thing. I I just saw that you know when um, uh, Rick Ocasek died a couple weeks ago, mm. and he met Paulina Portsakova, this gorgeous supermodel, when she was eighteen. Eighteen mm. met her when she was eighteen. I don't know when they officially started dating. He was in his forties. She was eighteen. They did get married and stay together for like twenty five years or more, thirty years. But still, I'm like. That guy was the ugliest guy in the world, <laughs> and he was in his 40s, and he got a supermodel who was 19? Come on. He must like, have been charming. I mean, I'm sure he was cool. I mean, he was <laughs> in the coolest band in the 80s, and, mm. you know, yeah, you know, guitars. That's how they work, you know? Mm. Get a hot girl, like, <laughs> and you're the ugliest fucker ever. Like, Women love musicians. Yeah. It's true. 